Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. There's no tricks. If a high school team can execute that, get downhill and put a hat on someone, and you're seeing it at the pro level, it's the same exact thing. There's no X's and O's involved. Let Matt right. Bowen talk. Shut right. up. <laughs> Joe Osho, Sports Radio 670, The Score, broadcasting from The Score Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Triple header Saturday, triple header Sunday. The Bears are going to be game two of three on Sunday, of course, because that's when Alvin Kamara will be out there on the field. And I guess Tony Romo is going to be in his basement. That's uh, the idea right now. He's going to be talking all over Nance. I enjoy him, but he's not the biggest pro. I, you see some great ones right now that are broadcasting from home, and you can kind of tell if you watch closely with the delay when they're finally mentioning what's happening on the field, like it's a few seconds behind. But, yeah, I mean, he talks over Nance as it is, so what's he going to be doing from his basement? But it would be entertaining. They, check it out. There are a bunch of different streams. Like, if you're into more of the technical aspects, like the scouting aspects of games, there are so are so, all sorts of broadcasts out there to check out. So uh, I, I think there's a few different ones that I'm going to be taking a look at. I'm, I'm not going to be stuck with Nancy and Romo if I'm not into that. <laughs> I'm just yelling over Nancy the entire time. But but he is pretty entertaining, and he's genuinely excited about what he's seeing on the field. Joe Ostrowski here, Sports Radio 670, The Score. So weekdays, 9 to 11 a.m. on the Radio.com app. I do my sports betting show, Bet Sweats, but it's not all about Sports betting. And uh, today on the show, I wanted to bring a, a conversation to you guys with NFL analyst Matt Bowen. Just fantastic, man. It was so good. We took a deep dive on all six games, including Bears Saints. And so we start off by going in chronological order. So that begins with Saturday afternoon, the Bills and the Colts game. And, and I mentioned to Matt, I'm like, you know, we saw Bears-Colts earlier in the year. And at that time, the numbers were telling you that Indianapolis was a great defense. Now, as the season played out, that was more about the soft schedule or weak offenses that they were going going up against. And it, it's kind of like, yeah, they're, they're in the middle, I think. They're not elite. They're not terrible. They're in the middle. But are they good enough to slow down Josh Allen and this Bills offense? Take a listen to what Bowen had to say. 
Yeah, I think you hit it right there. You're not going to completely lock down that Bills offense, especially Brian Dable calling plays. But can you limit them? Yeah, I think they have the personnel to do that. I understand that Indianapolis is one of the most zone-heavy teams in the NFL, um, and they play the most cover, too, in the National Football League. You know, once you get two deep safeties over the top, you try to force the ball underneath. Um, they have the linebackers. That's the biggest thing. Darius Leonard, Bobby Okariki, those guys have to get depth and kind of patrol the middle field or close that middle of the field versus Josh Allen. And I think they have two of the most disruptive interior defenders with Stewart and Buckner. And I would put Buckner, you know, right behind Aaron Donald in terms of an interior player who creates the most disruptive. You have to get people at Josh Allen's feet, and you have to do that with interior pressure. So I do believe they can limit them. And when you play too deep, what does that allow you to do? Most of the time, it allows you to take away explosive plays because Stephon Diggs, they will scheme him up off of play action, deep middle of the field throws for Josh Allen. You have to take those away. Matt, um, always good to talk with you. It's Ross Tucker. Uh, it's funny. Uh, we always laugh, Joe. Matt and I played for the same teams at the same time. We just flipped. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Buffalo <laughs> when he was in Washington. And oh, then okay. I was in Washington when he was in Buffalo. So, like, you say he played with Sean Taylor. I see the picture of him with the Bills. I see all these guys I played with. But somehow right. he and I never never overlap. But I got to ask you, Matt, in particular about Josh Allen. I've never seen anything like this. 52%, 58%, this year 69%. Have you ever seen anything even remotely similar to a, a, an improvement in terms of completion percentage like we've seen from Allen, and what do you attribute it to? I haven't, Ross, and it's a great point because that was kind of uh, the scouting report on Josh coming out of college. He wasn't an accurate thrower in college, and usually when college quarterbacks aren't accurate at that level, you don't expect them to make a huge jump versus pro competition. And, and that kind of uh, you know held serve the first couple of years uh, during his career in the league, but now – uh, you know, I attribute it to a couple of things. Obviously, the coaching of Brian Dable and the quarterback coach, Ken Dorsey. Um, they're coaching him hard. And I think you can see that in terms of his development, how he's changed his throwing platform, how he's playing more under control. When he's moving, Ross, I think now he's moving much more to throw. For the past couple of years, he was moving just to run. And he always is going to have that second reaction ability when he can pull the ball down and go. But he is moving in the pocket. His eyes are up when he gets outside of the pocket. And then you also add Stephon Diggs within that scheme. And really, when you watch this team on film right now, they have answers for man. They have answers for single high zone and split safety zone covers. They are very well-coached football team on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball, but we're talking about offense right now. And with Josh, you just see how he elevated his game in terms of his, his eyes, his ability to process with speed, his mechanics, lower and upper body, and his ball location. And that's what you're getting at, Ross. It's really it's really amazing to see that his growth from his final year at Wyoming to now, much more accurate passer and really one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire league. And, and Matt, I, I think people are looking at this matchup, and, and it's fair to say that there isn't a team playing better football right now than the Buffalo Bills winning nine of their last ten and just – 
we I can't help. I know it's week 17, but everything was on the line here for Miami and, and people just praising Brian Flores and that Dolphins defense all year. And you know the Bills starters aren't even going to play the entire game and they just smacked them around. Uh, do, do you expect the Colts to hang around in this one? Because uh, the public sentiment certainly seems to be this game is 100% on the Bills. Yeah, I like the Bills in this game. I'm going to pick the Bills, you know, straight up. There's no question about that. But I do think Indy can. Well, you know, a couple reasons there. Uh, I think they have matchup advantages in the offensive line versus Buffalo's defensive line, especially the interior of that offensive line for Indy. I think you'll see a lot of zone runs with two tight ends in the field, get those combo blocks, climb to the second-level linebackers. And Jonathan Taylor right now, this looks like the running back we watched in this college tape at Wisconsin. You know, running behind his pads, stacking moves together, explosive play ability. He's playing some of the best football in the league right now at the running back. Just, I do think it starts with the run game. And then Phillip Rivers off of it, you have to, you know, you know what Phillip Rivers is. They're going to throw a lot of crossers. They're trying to scheme some throws in the middle of the field. But if you're Buffalo, and guys, this is the thing about Buffalo that I don't think is talked about enough. They have a blitz rate right now in the NFL at top 10. They're a very pressure-heavy team this year. I think that's because they don't have a dominant edge rusher in terms of consistently winning one-on-ones. But if I'm Buffalo, yes, Jonathan Taylor's going to run the ball. But when I get in the obvious passing situations, I'm going to heat up the pocket versus Phil Rivers. I think he's going to throw me one. Matt, so fired up for that game. I'll be calling that one. I could just ask you every question about that game. I'm taking notes. You're, you're helping my prep and <laughs> research right now. But I know we got to move on to some of these other ones. Uh, Seahawks. And the Rams, I guess I'm curious, how much have you had a chance to watch this John Wolford kid? And what do you think, assuming he's the quarterback again against Seattle? Last week, you know, Ross, I thought he battled. You know, and I think it's the best way you can say about it. He competed. Uh, You know, he doesn't have elite traits at the quarterback position. But if he does start again, you have to be honest. You know, he has more movement ability than Jared Goff. He does. He has more second reaction ability of Jared Goff. And I think he can play a little bit more off off script or off structure. What you're going to get from Sean McVay, especially against Seattle, a lot of boot, a lot of play action. Try to get into the edge of the pocket. Give him high-low reads, three-level flood concepts. Uh, tag zone coverage in the Week 16 game, uh, Seattle versus Jared Goff. They were exclusively cover three team, playing a lot of zone coverage, trying to contain on the edges for, versus Goff and make him play off structure. You know, with Jared Goff, he's a very programmed thrower. So when it's not structured or scripted, he can struggle. I think Walford, while he doesn't have the throwing traits of Goff, gives you a little bit more outside of structure. And he's going to have to make plays outside of structure against that Seattle defense. There's no question. Uh, Seattle's favored by three and a half here. It's the lowest total of the six games we got this weekend, uh, 42 and a half over at points bet. And, and Matt, I, I've got to talk to this about the Seattle defense with you here. Like in the middle of the year, when you look at the on-pace numbers, th- there was an argument to be made that, you know, if they kept this up, the Seahawks were going to be one of the worst defenses we've ever seen. How did they turn it around? Well, I think a couple of things. You, you added Carlos Dunlap. That gives you a guy who can win one-on-ones and can close games for you in the fourth quarter as a pass rusher off the edge. I think they started pressuring more. You know, when they bring pressures, Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner, those are their pressure guys. And really, Jamal Adams right now, he's that hybrid safety linebacker. I think he's better as a box defender. Um, and the other thing, Joe, is he's playing more disciplined zone defense. Um, you know, they, they have become more of a split safety team earlier in the season. I think they're getting back now more to single high, which is kind of their core scheme, single high, cover three. 
playing more disciplined zone defense, getting to depth at the second level. And, again, it's not very complicated, but that's what they're doing. And, really, this is the team Pete Carroll wants. Look what they're doing on offense. This is back to the 2018 Seahawks now. It's not Russ throwing the ball over the place. It's run game, it's balance, it's play-action throws. This is a team that Pete Carroll believes is built to win playoff football with the defense, the run game, and the play-action passing. The nightcap, it is the Washington football team against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to give you a sort of a blank canvas for this one, Matt. Your thoughts and what interests you the most in this game right now, Bucks are an eight-point favorite. I think the most interesting matchup, Ross, is that Washington defensive line against Tom Brady. I mean, I really do. Uh, that Washington defensive line is one of the top defensive fronts in the NFL. I mean, they're up there with Pittsburgh. Uh, you have four first-rounders in that defensive line. Chase Young, Montez Sweat off the edge. You have Payne inside, Jonathan Allen. I think you have to heat up Brady with your front four. I don't think Washington matches up well in the secondary uh, against the Bucks passing game. I think you'll see more zone coverage. But you have to win up front. And the book on Tom Brady this year and, and always on, on Brady has been interior pressure. Get defenders at his feet. Muddy that pocket so he can't throw in with timing and rhythm. That's what Brady wants to do. That's when he's at his best. I think the Bucks are at their best this year when they're in 12 personnel. That's one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. I think it took them a long time to find out the identity of what that offense wants to be. But this is where Brady's at his best. He can throw play action. He can throw the quicks underneath. They can scheme some verticals down the field to Antonio Brown or Godwin or Evans if he's up for the game and active. Um, but it comes down to me, Brady, versus that Washington defensive front. Now, when you flip it over, Alex Smith, uh, we know he's working through an injury. We might see Heineke in there. I hmm. think Todd Bowles is going to go after him. I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, they're one of the you know highest-pressure teams in the NFL. I would go after those quarterbacks all day. That offense does not have a vertical element to it. They want to throw the ball underneath. For Washington, I think they really have to get the running backs involved in the pass game to stay in this one. Yeah, when we're handicapping this game, Matt, like we're just trying to figure out, okay, we know Tampa's got a great defense, and like you mentioned, they're probably going to send them uh, against Alex Smith. But how many points can you get on the board? What are you going to have to do to keep it close? Because they certainly have to get it at least, you would think, into the mid-20s. Even though Washington's a fantastic defense. Love Bruce Arians yesterday. He's like, we're not playing a 7-9 and team. Because when Alex Smith starts, they're much better. They're five and one when Alex Smith starts, and one and five when Haskins is out there. One and three when Kyle Allen is out there. Can you talk a little bit about just just everything that Alex Smith and Ron Rivera were able to accomplish this season? Yeah, well, I think with Alex Smith, you have a veteran passer understands route concepts, can read coverages pre-snap and post-snap with speed, knows where to go with the football. You know, he's not going to push the ball down the field like we talked about. They're not; a, they don't have a vertical element. But they do have some pieces. McLaurin's a very good route runner who can work the intermediate parts of the field. And look what they've done with Logan Thomas. You know, he's a four, former college quarterback. How they developed him at the tight end position. That gives you a middle-of-the-field stretch option on seams and over routes. And I love the running backs. McKissick can do things in the pass game. And I think Gibson, you know, the rookie out of Memphis, has dynamic traits in the open field. I think they got to get him loose in the open field, whether scheming or manufacturing touches for him on jets getting him on toss schemes, throwing the football to try to create matchups. And ultimately, your defense, Joe, is going to have to steal a possession or two. You're going to have to turn the ball over versus Tom Brady. you got to steal a possession or two in this game to keep it close. Matt, before we get to the Sunday games, I, I got one more. I know we talked about Seattle and the Rams already, but I'm, I'm leaning hard to the under 43 there, bro. 
Do you see either team really scoring? I mean, the Rams' defense is nasty. Seattle's defense is better. They got this Walford kid in. Are you with me on I, – I, I'm not sure I see either team getting a 20 in this game. No, I, I'm with you, Ross. Look at the last game they played in Week 16. Look, you know, One thing we didn't talk about is Brandon Staley's defense in L.A. Uh, in the two games against the Seahawks this year, that Rams defense sacked Russell Wilson 11 times. 11 and they are they are nasty up front in terms of their scheme. They'll use stunts, twists. They will get one-on-one pass rush, rush matchups for Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd. And they know how to rush Wilson. They keep him in the pocket. Because right now, guys, Wilson is not playing his best football. He just has, that's what the tape tells you. He's been inconsistent as a passer. His eyes are dropping. He's not seeing it fast enough. And he wants to get outside. He's trying to go to those second reaction plays. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of points in this game. I really don't. You get two very good defenses, two defenses that can get after the quarterback, and they are disciplined zone defenses, both of them in the secondary. NFL analyst for ESPN.com, Matt Bowen, there with me on my Radio.com show, Bet Sweats, earlier today, in case you missed it. I wanted to bring some of that back because it is just an outstanding breakdown. There you have the three AFC matchups. What about the three NFC, including Bears-Saints? We talk about that. I'm going to bring that to you next. This is Joe Ostrowski on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You go down and you you, you beat a 12-win team uh, on the road. You get to 9-8 and eight, the way that they've kind of finished the season on an up note before the Green Bay game, which was close going into the fourth quarter, and then I think everyone would benefit from that situation. Yep. And maybe I'm in the minority, but I thought making the playoffs that that they're probably going to return, even if they didn't get the help of the Cardinals loss, if they are an 8-18 Without making the postseason, it still kind of felt like everybody was going to return for one last hurrah. And I'm actually feeling a little bit better that Big Z's saying, no, 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 it isn't done for Pace. Yeah, Nagy's probably returning, but it isn't isn't done for Ryan Pace here. There's still some evaluation to go. We might have an announcement as soon as the season wraps. And, it, and uh, maybe there's some sort of a press conference, an announcement coming up on Monday. If the season ends on Sunday. And let's also, yeah, the, all likelihood... The Bears lose, right? And it isn't pretty. The point spread's double digits. It's the highest point spread of the weekend. The highest point spread of any games in the Matt Nagy era, actually, which is pretty amazing. 
If they're in the playoffs and it's the highest point spread that he's ever gone up against as an underdog. Crazy things happen in the postseason. In the first round, yeah, there are upsets. Now, maybe this year where we haven't seen a ton of shocking upsets because there isn't much home field advantage. That's one of the main reasons. And maybe all the favorites move on. But, you know, with a sample of six games over two days, there's probably going to be an upset or two that we aren't expecting. Joe Ostrowski here, Sports Radio 670, The Score. So you heard the breakdown in our last segment from Matt Bowen on the AFC matchups. What about the NFC, including Bears Saints? We cover that in here as well. Uh, here's Matt Bowen on my show, Bet Sweats, on the Radio.com app. And on the NFC side, rather, no, I'm sorry. Sean, th- this chunk starts with Titans-Ravens? Yeah, Titans-Ravens. So you went in chronological order again. Titan- so Titans-Ravens, Bears-Saints, and then ending it with the Brown-Steelers. Brown gotcha. So it's not AFC-NFC. Yeah. Okay. So these are the Sunday games. I'm sorry. I don't know why I was saying NFC. Uh, these are the Sunday games. So the first game is Tennessee-Baltimore. Bears are that second game. But here's his breakdown on uh, what he expects from Baltimore-Tennessee. Yeah, the Tennessee defense could carry them at times last year. That's just not the case this year. They can't rush the passer consistently. Um, they haven't been very disciplined in the secondary. And you're looking at a Ravens team right now that from weeks 13 to 17 is averaging 267 yards rushing per game. Those are college numbers. They are. Those are college numbers. You don't see that off in the NFL. But what are they doing? And they're becoming a more gap, or, you know, Ross knows this, or a power run team. You know, they're pulling people to the play side. They're using a lot of counter schemes. And with that, with Lamar, they become read schemes. So now you're getting GT quarterback read. Okay, what does that mean? You're getting the guard and the tackle pulling to the play side with the running back going opposite. It's misdirection. You're creating conflict for the linebackers in their eye discipline. If you make a mistake against Lamar, it's plus 20 at least. Okay? When Lamar carries the ball and design runs. Plus you got Dobbins. Who's got juice in this offense? Gus Edwards, I think, has played very well as a downhill runner in that system. But really, it's about containing that run game. And what does that feed into? Their play-action passing game. Well, they can get tight end Mark Andrews on deep seams and overs or take your shots down the field to Hollywood Brown. It's a very tough, tough offense to defend right now just because of that run game. I call it multidimensional. And every time you watch them on the tape, they're getting plus one, plus one to the play side. And they're excellent at doing that. So this is a, a really tough test for Tennessee defense. I think that's allowing 132 yards rushing per game. So, Matt, I know you talked about the gap scheme and the pullers. Is that what they've ch- – you know, earlier in the year, it didn't feel like the Ravens' run game was firing on all cylinders. Is that what they changed? Did they change a lot or did they just get better at what they were doing? I think they've changed. You know, I think they're more zone-based. Ross, beginning of the year, you know, zone read with Lamar, um, inside-outside zone with their running backs. I think they're more gap now. I think they're bigger up front. I think they're excellent on pulls. You know, it's a different offensive line, Ross, than they had last year. Much different. Yonda's gone. Stanley's down with an injury. It's a different front. And they've been running those gap schemes and using those pullers. One, because the linebackers don't see it every week. You know, you don't see GT Reed unless you're playing on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons. You just don't see it that often in the National Football League. But the way they do it with the motion, pre- and post-snap movement, it's creating confusion, and it's giving blocking angles at the second level, and now you got the talent in terms of the ball carriers with it. 
Matt, 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 you're selling me on teams like Baltimore. We talked about Buffalo earlier. Of course, Kansas City, the heavy favorite throughout the year. Uh, they, they get to have the bye and rest while everybody else almost is uh, playing, at least everybody else in the AFC side. Uh, before we move on to Chicago, New Orleans here, how, how many teams do you think can take down Kansas City in the playoffs to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? Well, I, I think Buffalo's in that discussion for sure. I, I really believe that. And, and, you know, teams like Baltimore and Tennessee, you know, the, the issue there with playing Kansas City is their pass game is not independent of their run game. Okay, the run and pass game are tied together in both Baltimore and Tennessee because it's run heavy, then throw play action off of it. They're different teams, and they have to get in a heavy drop-back throwing situations. Where Buffalo can do that. They can, they can, Josh Allen can throw 45 passes a game. You know, they are a pass-heavy team. But those other teams we talked about, you know, they need the run game to function and to control game flow. Uh, we saw it last year when Baltimore got behind in the playoffs. You saw it in the AFC title game last year when Tennessee got behind in Kansas City. And they are just not buying throwing teams in, in pure drop-back situations. And the interesting team is Pittsburgh, okay, because Pittsburgh is the complete opposite. Pittsburgh can't run the football. They just can't run it consistently. They're not getting movement off the ball. They're not – uh, finishing on combo blocks in the offensive line, they are just not creating that push up front. So they become more like an air raid college team, and they run air raid concepts, a lot of mirrored concepts, a lot of clicks underneath. Now the one positive you saw with Pittsburgh was the second half, really the late third quarter into the fourth quarter in week 16 against Indianapolis. When they started scheming more throws, okay, they started attacking zone coverage, attacking both split safety and single high. That has to happen for them. That has to happen for them. The, still, the concern with Pittsburgh is short-yarded situations, third and short, fourth and short, inside the low red zone. What type of team are you when you can't run the ball in those situations? That's very tough. So um, let's talk Bears-Saints. The Saints are favored by 10.5. Can the Bears keep it close, Matt, and how do they do it? Well, Ross, I think, well, the first thing is they have to find a way to create explosive plays on offense. You know, the Bears have done a really good job the last, you know, not counting this past weekend. But and I know they didn't play top-tier defenses. Uh, you have to admit that. You're, you're playing Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, teams like that, Minnesota, who struggled this year on defense. But what they what they did is they started mirroring the run and pass game together. And you have to do that with Mr. Trubisky at quarterback. Mr. Trubisky has, has limitations as a pocket thrower. Um, the same limitations you've seen on the tape for the last couple of years. So what you do with Mitch is – heavy outside zone with David Montgomery. He's playing the best football of his career. And then play action boot off of it. That's their passing tree right now. And it has to be. But you can scheme shot plays down the field off of that. You can create vertical throws down the field to Mooney, who's got the speed to get over the top, to Allen Robinson on deep overs and crosses. You're going to have to hit those. And last week against Green Bay, they had one explosive play. Because I don't count a, a, a fade ball with a minute left in the game as an explosive play. One true explosive play. Can't do that against Aaron Rodgers. You can't do that against the Saints either. And the other issue right now for the Bears, they're just not playing good, good football on defense. They're not. Mm-hmm. Roquan Smith might be out with an injury. They're not getting consistent pressure on the quarterback. And those safeties, Eddie Jackson and Gibson, they just don't make plays in the football. They don't. They haven't all year. They have not all year. So if you're going to you know, be considered one of the top defenses in the league, you have to hit the quarterback, you got to make plays in the ball. They're just not doing those enough. 
Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at, Matt. I mean, we spent so much time in this town obsessed about Matt Nagy. Who's the play caller? Is it really Laser or Nagy? Is Nagy taking control again? What about Trubisky? What are you going to do with him in the future after the season wraps? I mean, the way that Pace has built this team, they spent more money on defense than any other team in the NFL. Like, they put themselves in a position where if they want to compete with some of the top teams, they have to be elite. And uh, I would expect that we're going to see a repeat of Sunday with uh, Aaron Rodgers picking on Duke Shelley. Isn't Drew Brees going to try and do the same thing? I would do the same thing. And you have to see who's up for the Saints. Now, obviously, Kamara has to get cleared to play. Sanders should be back. We'll see about Michael Thomas. But Sean Payton's one of the best in the NFL at scheming opposing teams. And if you go back to the Week 8 game when they didn't have those wide receivers, it was Kamara in the pass game. He had almost 100 yards receiving. And they just went after the Bears. They created matchups. They cleared the middle of the field for him and went one-on-one. And, look, Drew Brees, we all know at this stage of his career, is not going to drive the ball consistently down the field. They don't have to in that offense. That's not what they are. They are a short-to-intermediate passing game where Brees can win with ball location and the ability to anticipate open windows. Uh, and, really, if you're the Bears, just like we talked about with Washington, you have to steal possessions. You have to turn the ball over. They not, have not been doing that at a consistent rate this year. Uh, and that's the worry for this matchup. Matt, let's get to the Sunday nighter. You talked about how the Steelers really can't run the ball very well. We have no idea who's going to play for the Browns, what the deal is. Browns right now are six-point underdogs. I guess I want your perspective as a guy that studies it as closely as you do on how much it hurts the Browns to not have Stefanski as the play caller. Uh, that's a great question, Ross, because I think at the first quarter, begin the game, you're going to go off the script. You're going to run your core offense. It'll be, you know, two, three tight end personnel. That's what Cleveland is. Uh, you know, run schemes with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and then you throw the play action off with Baker Mayfield, and then you scheme your shot plays on the field. That's what that offense is, and they're very good at doing that. What you worry about, Ross, is when they have to go off script, and let's say they fall behind seven, let's say they fall behind ten. What does Alex Van Pelt do? Does he stick to what they are, what their offensive identity is? Or is there some panic that comes in as a play caller? And you go to a volume-throwing offense with Baker Mayfield. Because if you do that, I think you're in trouble against this Pittsburgh defense. And Pittsburgh has the highest blitz rate in the NFL. They have T.J. Watt, who has a matchup advantage on the edge against this offensive line. They will bring pressure from everywhere. They have excellent defensive backs who can blitz out of the slot. And they have defensive backs who make plays in the football. So if you get into that volume-throwing offense, that's not what Cleveland is. We've seen it multiple times this year when Beggars had to drop back and throw. I think he's a quarterback that fits in the system, that is a very good fit for the system. But that's the worry without Stefanski there, is when does it change? When does that panic come in where they become a team that is not conducive to their personnel? Matt, a couple scenarios uh, this weekend where teams are facing off for the third time. Like in week 17, probably not a big deal because the Steelers are sitting a lot of different players. But uh, is is that something you consider uh, teams facing off for the third time? And how much when when you're trying to figure out matchups and and what we're going to see coming up this weekend, how much do you look at those other two games or in these situations like the Rams and the Seahawks? are, Are these kind of different teams? Uh, I think the Rams and the Seahawks, those tapes are, are very valuable. That's weeks 10 and week 16. Uh, and really, when I look at those games, I always think it's coaches versus coaches. The you know, personnel can change from 
beginning of the season to the end of the season. There's injuries, there's all kinds of things that happen in the league, but coaches versus coaches doesn't change. So I think those games are very valuable. For the Browns and the Steelers, it's different. You know, the first game was earlier in the season, uh, a long time ago. And last week, like you said, that was uh, not a true reflection of who the Pittsburgh Steelers are with the amount of veterans and key players that were, were resting for that week. I think this is more about, for Cleveland's perspective, understanding what you're going against in one of the top defenses in the NFL and how you can create explosive plays, how you can control the clock, how you can win up front to run the football. Because if you can't do that, I think Cleveland gets into a situation where they have to throw the ball against a secondary that is going to try to bait Baker Mayfield in the, in the stealing one. Last one, Matt. Uh, for me, the Chiefs, still the Super Bowl favorites. I know Joe asked you if there's anybody you think can knock them off. They didn't cover their last six or seven games. They were winning by six points. Anything to be concerned about there? Any any sort of a chink in the armor? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I, I think teams, though, you know, towards the end of the season, um, you start playing offensive tendencies and what teams are doing against Kansas City because you can't match up to them in man. I mean, there's not a team in the NFL that can do that consistently. I think New Orleans did a good job in that Saints-Chiefs game in the first half. The Saints secondary is aggressive. They're grabby. Um, they send routes. Uh, they're a great defense to watch, and they will heat up the pocket with Dennis Allen as a defense corner. But even when he got into that second half, Ross, Andy Reid made adjustments. And you say, wow, you know, New Orleans played great. You look at the game, and Kansas City's got over 30 points again. Um, but what teams have done, Ross, is they're playing more zone coverage. And I think you have to do that against Kansas City. You have to limit their explosive playability. You really do. You cannot give open lanes down the field for Hardman, for Hill, for Robinson, for Watkins when he's up. And it's the toughest part, Ross, about Kansas City is Travis Kelsey. That, to me, is the key to that offense. Outside of Mahomes, obviously. But Travis Kelsey. Because if you want to play man, what's your matchup? You have to have someone with physical traits, the ability to close on routes, the ability to play the ball at the point of attack against a guy who's stronger at the point of attack. That's the key to that offense. So if you don't have a man defender there, it's tough to play man. It's tough to match up there. But I do think, you know, around that way, I'm talking too much to answer your question, is teams are putting, a, you know, a tent on top of that secondary. They're making a work the ball down the field and go longer drives. And that's an explosive play offense. And the other thing is the red zone, Ross. You know, this is, isn't talked about enough. I wrote a piece for ESPN last summer about the top red zone offenses in the NFL, and Kansas City wasn't in it based on the tape, based on the numbers, because they're a vertical strategy. Mm-hmm. And when you get inside the 15 and really inside the plus 10, I don't, I don't care if I'm a defensive back how fast you are. I don't care. You know, go ahead and run vertical. You'll, you'll run into the tunnel. There's not, just not enough room back there so defenses can sit. They can be more aggressive. They can challenge. What Andy Reid, though, is starting to do, and he's seen it more this year, now they're becoming a horizontal stretch offense inside the red zone where they use a lot of misdirection. They're getting Hardman Hill loose on jets and reverses. They're stretching you horizontally to open up those throwing lanes. But I do still think it's Kansas City right now is the clear favorite. Um, and I think in the NFC, you have to look at Green Bay. You have to because Green Bay is running the football now. Aaron Rodgers is playing the best football of his later stages of his career and really how his game has matured in, in Matt LaFleur's offense. He's playing much more within the structure of the offense. He's mastered the, the defined throws. He can still go off schedule. And when he sees a one-on-one, he can beat you with ball location. And the flip side of that is their defense. 
They are starting to make plays in the ball in the secondary right now. Darnell Savage is playing better football. They're getting production out of Rashawn Gary as a pass rusher, and they can heat up the quarterback as well. So, really, the top two teams right now, it's easy for me to say, guys, are the number one seeds, but that's why they're the number one seeds because they're playing the best football of every team in the league right now. Yeah, I think Matt Bowen's right there. I think much of the year it was hard to figure out the best team in the NFC, but isn't it clear? Bears have a tough matchup on Sunday. New Orleans clearly the second best team. But there's a bit of a gap there, right? Because Drew Brees can't push the, the ball down the field anymore, and we're seeing that. I see how Michael Thomas looks this year. They haven't had him throughout the year, and he's back at practice. He's going to be healthy. I'm sure that Sean Payton is going to make sure he gets into the slot against Duke Shelley a little bit, and they're going to pick on him, as I mentioned to Matt, much like Aaron Rodgers did this past Sunday against the Bears. Joe Osho, Sports Radio 670, The Score. I want to bring you that incredible content. That was from Matt Bowen. He was on my show, Bet Sweats, which airs weekdays, 9 to 11 a.m. on the Radio.com app. Podcasts available 24-7. Subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, and Radio.com. All right, coming up next, there are some notes that kind of went under the radar involving both baseball teams in town, a White Sox rumor and multiple Cubs rumors. Hmm. Some intriguing ones. I'm going to talk about this on the other side. Uh, Cody Western will, will drop by to talk Bulls at 8 o'clock. Joe Ostrowski on 670, the score in the radio.com app. Two outs in the ninth inning and a two-ball, two-strike count. Hendricks trying to dig deep. Here's his 2-2. Mazzara takes strike three called. And a win, a long time coming for the A's franchise. It has had so much regular season success and so little in the postseason. Bob Melvin and his team earned this one. What a win today, and what a series win for the Oakland Athletics. And disappointment for the White Sox, who battled hard. Yeah, White Sox fans have been waiting on Liam Hendricks signing, and they continue to wait right now. Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670, the score. Broadcasting from the SCORE Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. You can call or text 312-644-6767. The SCORE listener line, powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books, download the BetQL app today to uh, visit BetQL.com. And they continue to wait. And here's the latest rumor. It's not about Liam Hendricks. It's about another reliever. And... Probably not as good as Liam Hendricks, even though people will get excited because he was a saves leader in the truncated 2020 season. But John Heyman reports that the White Sox are expressing interest in left-hander Brad Hand. He had 16 saves this past year, a 205 ERA, a .77 whip. I have no issues, and it appears that the White Sox are going to be moving on from 32-year-old Alex Colomay if that's what they end up doing. All signs point to that. I think there's room for an upgrade. I'm cool with that. I it's it's funny like you kind of have been waiting for um, the true numbers to show on Colomay. And what I mean by that, when you look at some of the peripherals, how is he this past year? How did he have a sub one ERA in 2019? How did he have a sub three ERA? Just about the same thing in 2018. 
Because in his time with the White Sox, and this has not been the case his entire career, but just in his time on the South Side, it shows that his numbers should be a lot worse. Not striking out a lot of guys. Strikeouts per nine innings this past season, only six and a half. Not good at all. Usually that's going to come back to haunt you at some point. It just hasn't happened yet. Uh, Strikeout rate, not even 18%. I mean, Sean Anderson, uh, executive producer tonight, how is Colomay doing this exactly? Because this is, it's not two full years, uh, but nearly a year and a half of this. I don't know, and I think it really shocks most White Sox <laughs> fans. Uh, Alex, But Colomay, you know it's coming, right? Yeah, you know it's coming. Because, but he, one something he loves to do is always get behind in the count. Whenever you're watching Alex Colomay work against somebody, he's always down yeah. like, you know, two balls to one, and then somehow he just gets, he forces a weak grounder. He, he, he knows how to spot that cutter, and that really works for him. We saw Mariano Rivera have a Hall of Fame career. Colomay has a good cutter, and it works for him. And I was more surprised by 2019 than the 60-game season in 2020 because he, he did draw a good amount of soft contact this past year. But in 2019, that was not the case at all. I mean, less than 10% soft contact but every number points to some massive regression coming his way so i understand i I even haven't heard any connections with the white Sox to colony nothing like that has been reported so internally if they've decided to move on i can't really argue with that and if you bring in hand or hendricks you'd have an upgrade and it is winning time that's what it's expected to be for the next uh several years use that term loosely because things can uh, change quickly in this league like we saw on the north side but next handful of years and um, I'm not really that surprised that they're showing interest but Hendricks yeah what's the market so some of the high uh, top names got paid but now we're waiting on some others still but it's been been very very slow hot stove time here in major league baseball not not a lot going on but the White Sox are going to add. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen and which name they end up with. Because that's it. that uh, closer spot, even uh, some of the most analytically inclined people will tell you that's big. It's still a thing. You need to get a closer. Those last three outs of a game matter. And I, and I side there, too. And the worst part, now, too, with about the, with uh, Hendricks, yeah. the, the worst words in baseball have come up. Uh, the Dodgers are involved. So watch out. Ooh. Okay, that leads me to the Dodgers. I'm glad you brought them up. Uh, by the way, Heyman, it's not like he's only reporting the White Sox. Yeah, you got the Dodgers, also the Blue Jays looking to take another step, and oh, the rich. You know, may, maybe that those aren't the worst words in baseball, Sean. If you're a fan of the White Sox looking to sign someone, maybe the worst phrase is now the New York Mets are interested. Right, but I can't take the Mets seriously. I I, I even said it. Why? Before. I said it before the season. Like I, I I you just expect from the Mets that they're gonna go sub five hundred. They're gonna go like seventy six and eighty something. Like that's what the Mets do every year. And now that Cohen's Maybe. changed, you know, Maybe, now that Cohen's but they the have owner, deep pockets. You might be right, but they're going to spend. Right. They're going to spend. But I mean, are they going to spend to fix every mistake? Does that mean they're they're going to not spend money poorly? Like I, I'm not gonna trust that every single signing the Mets have is not gonna be is not gonna be a, a hit. It's gonna be expensive, but that doesn't mean it's gonna work out. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying from the White Sox perspective, there's a closer you want out there. You want uh, that is available, and the Mets just might 
offer too much money where they can't say no and they don't want to go to a winning position right now, which is the White Sox. I, I meant it from that. I'm not saying that the Mets are a threat to be a title contender in 2021. Yeah, I, and and that's fair. But then again, like you're you're in Chicago, so so going up against a owner with big money shouldn't stop you if you are truly building a winner. That's just a different discussion, and that will you know piss off people uh, because obviously everyone loves to bash on Reinsdorf, but. You, you are still an MLB owner. You still have enough money to go out and get these guys. They're not going to be stupid and give you know Hendricks $30 million for one year. They still have to, to work like a baseball team. So if you make a competitive offer, that should be the only thing that matters. Okay, speaking of cheap owners, let's go to the north side where we have the Cubs. What is the next move? What is it? Well, a couple rumors out there today. Dodgers interested in Liam Hendricks, rather uh, Brad Hand. There, well, they're probably interested in everybody. How about Chris Bryant? So they're trying to work out a deal to bring Justin Turner back, but reportedly Turner wants four years, just won a title. He's a heck of a player. He's looking to get paid big time. The LA Times reports that if they can't work out a deal with Turner, they are looking at maybe Moustakis. How about Kyle Seeger? You have Seeger and Seeger there. Eugenio Suarez. Or... Chris Bryant of the Cubs. That makes sense on a few levels because, yeah, they just won the title, but they also have one more year of Clayton Kershaw and Corey Seager. So now if you can't bring those guys back, you decide to part ways with Kershaw at some point. That's going to be tough to see. Can you imagine Kershaw in another uniform? That'd be tough to see. But it could certainly happen um, with the Dodgers make a move. They've been reluctant to move any prospects in the past, but for one more year, they're going to go all in for one season. Maybe they do want to add Chris Bryant to play play him every day, and he would replace Justin Turner, and it wouldn't cost you as many prospects as it did, say, a year or two ago to land Chris Bryant. So that rumor's out there. Uh, my, my initial reaction is, Okay, you're the Dodgers. You've been waiting for this window. I understand if you want to be aggressive and you can't just, you know, you know, call somebody up from the minors. I guess you could, but you probably want to add something substantial at third base to replace Turner. Is what's the incentive? You got your championship, so I don't, I don't know that they would be willing to do that. But that rumor's out there. Keep that in mind. And then there's chatter about the the Angels. Being interested in one Wilson Contreras makes a lot of sense with Joe Madden being out there, of course. Uh, fine. I'm okay with it. Once you made that Dar- Darvish move, move, the entire conversation changed. I-, I thought this was the road, just reading the tea leaves, that they would be going down. It would be a rebuild. But don't half-ass it. Don't get rid of Darvish. Bring in some lottery tickets for prospects. And say, okay, now we're going to bring everybody back. And then you're going to be stuck in the middle. Do you want to be the Chicago Bears of the Major League Baseball? I mean, come on. Don't do that. If you're going to go young, go young. What's the point of keeping Bryant for one year or until the trade deadline? Keeping Wilson Contreras until you can trade him in a year or two or whatever? Or re-signing bias to a bigger contract. I don't understand the point of that at all. What are we doing here? You're going to be stuck in the middle. I don't see how that works. Also, so bad I, to I, hear Bryant's value is the same as Mike Moustakis, Kyle Seeger, and Eugenio Suarez. Um, is that wrong? See, I didn't, I didn't even hesitate with that. That sentence made a lot of sense to me. In this city, 
we have inflated the value of Chris Bryant. What do you think he is across the league right now with one year of control? I know, but I'm just saying, like, that was your guy. How, like, that that how, just shows... The money have the, fallen. Yeah, that's where yeah. the Cubs are. I mean, this guy was Rookie of the Year, then MVP, won a World Series, and now he's the same as Mike Moustakis. Is he more valuable than Baez? I, I would... Well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I think he's a better player than him. I'd keep I keep Brian over Baez. I think he's, I think he's a safer bet. When they announce that they've signed a long-term big money deal with Javier Baez, I will not be happy. You know my what number. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yes, I will call you when that happens. I, I would be honored. And I will put you, and I will put you. Okay, I know you're not a Baez fan, but just the idea of doing that makes no sense, right? No, I mean, we, we know who, just to bring it to football, we know who Mitch is, right? He can't throw a ball past 10 yards. We know who Javi Bryant is, uh, Javi, Javi Baez is. He, he plays great defense and will swing at every pitch that's thrown to him. He's not a building block. He's he's a guy that is a, a I think a star is going to burn out bright with him, possibly like Chris Bryant's already did. But I think Chris Bryant will add more uh, value to your team for the long, the length of his career rather than Baez. I know a lot of good players had a bad season in 2020, but I'm not willing to chalk it up. Oh, no, fans, he was bad. When fans are back, he's going to be great. He was one of the worst players in Major League Baseball. Is that what he is? No. Is he an NL MVP? No. It's probably somewhere in the middle. So what's the rush in this year to go give him a monster deal? I don't understand that at all. Maybe he's going to walk to free agency. We'll see what happens. Fascinating to to see what they end up doing. But you can't move Darvish. Okay, yeah, we're going to keep everybody else. Yeah, everybody else. Keep Rizzo. We'll keep maybe half of the core. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Joe Osho, Sports Radio 670. The score taking you to Bulls basketball. 845. Your Bulls-Kings pregame right here on Sports Radio 670. The score. Let's talk about those Bulls. Exciting win last night. Uh, Cody Westerland of 670thescore.com will drop by the show next. Uh, Joe Ostrowski here, 670thescore and the radio.com app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.